It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. There will not be any negotiations over the debt ceiling. I think it's a sign of arrogance if you would say he wouldn't even discuss it. We cannot open the door to the Democrats peeling off several of our Republicans. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Vicious is the fighting in the Donbass. A little bipartisanship and different control in the U.S. House of Representatives will uh, have the Congress really working for the American people. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Cue the doomsday clock. It may be the only way to solve the debt ceiling. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as worries intensify about a possible default later in the year. Some Republicans are actually encouraging it. We'll talk reality with Bloomberg Congress reporter Eric Wasson and discuss possible solutions with Maya McGinnis, president of the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And as more Russian missiles rain on Ukraine, President Zelensky says the war will be won in the Donbass. We're joined by Rebecca Heinrichs later this hour, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, an expert on asymmetrical warfare. Analysis from our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano here for the hour. Thanks for joining us on the fastest hour in politics. The headlines are not getting any easier. This is what happens, by the way, when everybody leaves town. The House and Senate are out this week, right? Everybody's looking at Davos, and boy, the the pot's just boiling on this debt limit story. Doomsday clocks likely before Congress hikes debt limit. As I read on the terminal, this is coming back and forth with the White House now and Kevin McCarthy. The message is not changing on either end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, asked again, of course, you better believe today in the briefing. And the answer remains the same. Here she is. It is something that should be hap- that should be done without conditions. There should be we should not be negotiating around it. Uh, it is the it is the duty, the basic duty of Congress to get that done. And so we're not going to uh, we're just not going to negotiate uh, about that because, again, it was done under the last president. Uh, it was done uh, three times again in a bipartisan bipartisan way. Well, this year could be different. Uh No negotiating, though, is the line that we've heard every day since this really started back and forth with the new Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy says, hey, you know, we've got time. Why don't we work something out? Here he is. You know, we're six months away, approximately. uh, And uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to sit down with all the leaders, especially with the president, start having discussion. I think it's a sign of arrogance if you would say he wouldn't even discuss it. Of course, the White House says there's nothing to discuss. The money's already spent. And you remember tomorrow, I told you to circle the 19th on your calendar. That is when the U.S. Treasury begins implementing what they call extraordinary measures to start stretching out the cash here. Back to the headline on the terminal. 
doomsday clocks likely before Congress hikes debt limit. Cue the clock. I mean, we got to do this right if anyone's going to pay attention. Hours, yeah. 48 minutes, coordinated universal time. Oh, boy. Ah, that's it. I think we're running out of time. Bloomberg Congress reporter Eric Wasson shares the byline on this great story. With the U.S. government facing the danger of a payments default later this year, Congress has a variety of paths to avert an economic disaster and boost the debt ceiling. If you really want to know what you're talking about for your own information or for the cocktail party later, uh, Eric Waston and Mike Dorning actually walk through all of the likely possibilities here because this could go a lot of different ways. And Eric is with us right now. Eric, thank you. I hope you appreciate the doomsday clock. Somebody actually mentioned that to you. That was a quote from a Rodney Davis, a, uh, a former Republican congressman from Illinois. What did he mean? Yeah, he just means it's going to have to be a lot of media pressure, a lot of public pressure and market pressure, no, right. no doubt, in order to force uh, force an outcome here. Because we really have a staring contest. It's only deepening. Uh, you know, you had McCarthy in the White House, White House saying no negotiation. The thing is, is that Democrats used to negotiate this. President Obama did. Uh, he engaged with uh, Speaker Boehner in 2011. It led to a series of budget caps, that many of which were later uh, waived by Congress. But there was a deal made. Uh, and Republicans just feel like, you know, this is, might be a bluff from the White House and let's just try to pressure them into negotiating. A lot of people ask, and, and, and it's it's been remarked that the market isn't even paying attention to this yet because we're looking at what August or September is likely when the Treasury would would actually run out of cash to pay the bills here. Eric, why why is it starting in January with such an intense uh, uh, feeling in Washington? It's like issue number one. Well, Joe, one thing I should say is that Yellen's letter does say maybe early June. So this, this timeline is moving up a little bit, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a crunch because we see the president's budget now not coming till March. That usually kicks off the budget season. We're going to see a lot of little steps that have to take place here, especially in the House GOP passing a budget resolution, starting to pass some appropriate bills to establish what exactly is their demand, what can they actually produce votes for. And that's going to be a really t- uh, crunch time around, uh, you know, April, May. So there's, you know, they're just there's a lot of maneuvering right now. This is kind of pre-gaming it, uh, you know, but and, and it's surrounding the Yellen letter. But it'll go quiet for a bit, but it's going to really heat up uh, in the spring. Uh, you know, our, our, our story looks at all the different options. One of them yeah. is very intriguing to some people is this discharge petition. You know, McCarthy is kind of backed into a corner by the conservatives. They can bring this vote to oust him at any time. Mm-hmm. But what if you try to make an end run around McCarthy? And we talked to experts, and they basically said, look, you know, you could have Democrats try to force a vote on a clean debt ceiling bill if they can get six Republicans to sign this discharge petition with them. There's yes. a lot of pressure on Republicans not to do that. But there's a 30-day, 30 30-legislative-day 30 delay, you know, so it's, it's two to three months. So even if you came up with a, a deal with moderates, something to buy them off, you couldn't really start this clock ticking. So it's not a really nimble, uh, you know, nimble device. I'm also very intrigued by the idea of a Senate gang. You saw that with the infrastructure bill. Yep. Maybe Manchin, maybe Cinema get together, come up with something. You know, they've talked about the need for, for budget cuts or budget restraints. Uh, you know, if they kind of go against the White House line and come up with a compromise. Maybe that's the seed of something. I love that we're talking solutions here, at least. Eric, thank you so much. I'll point everyone uh, else to the column, by the way, just uh, search doomsday in <laughs> the terminal. Eric Wasson, Bloomberg Congress reporter with a good piece of work. And we turn to Maya McGinnis for her thoughts on some of these solutions, because we can talk about standoff all day. I know it's entertaining. There's lots of good sound bites. And look, it's going to get chippy. It'll get way worse than this. 
But at some point, we have to talk about a path. Of course, the president for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Maya, welcome back. It's great to have you. Uh, before we get to a doomsday clock, what do you think of some of these ideas that we're hearing? A, a discharge p- a petition where Democrats actually start to to push this a little bit or even minting a trillion dollar coin. Are you hearing anything real? What's what's reality? So there are ideas that run the gamut from absolutely ridiculous and something that you would only <laughs> see in a banana republic economy to possibly workable, but we shouldn't want to find it out. We okay. shouldn't want to get there. We shouldn't <laughs> want to use them. That's a right? big spread. It's just, it's, there's quite a spread. It's a big discussion. It's all over the place. And it's going to be like this for months, which is the opposite of how it should be. There should be one goal with one possible addition. The main goal here is get the debt ceiling increased without any drama. We've already failed that, right? There's going to be drama no matter what, but (laughs) without real drama that roils the markets and roils the economy. Mm -hmm. And second, if possible, it is a good idea to include some measures that would include the fiscal, uh, improve the fiscal health, along with raising the debt ceiling, which is what we used to do all the time. Most of our debt ceiling increases used to be accompanied by some kind of process or policy improvement. But it seems that we are going to go through a much uglier negotiation than spending our time now and talking about what policies or a fiscal commission that could be attached. And instead, we're going to go through these things. So debt prioritization, it might work. It might not work. I don't think we should find out. I think even talking about it and trying it could start to be very dangerous in terms of stability for the markets. And certainly it just seems dumb politically and operationally. We're not sure if it can work. Yeah. Um, And you'd have to pass a law that would be pretty darn difficult, wouldn't it? That would be incredibly difficult to get done. Um, The discharge petition, that could work. It takes a lot of time to get done. They have to get started Mm -hmm. right now. I mean, we always hope, I think, that somewhere in the background there's already a plan and that this is just theater. But there's not a plan. There's no plan. Thank you. No, there's no plan. And so thinking that something like a discharge petition could get done in advance enough, they really need to start working on it soon because it needs a lot of days to to go through Congress, the process that is required. All right. So Maya McGinnis is a no on a trillion dollar coin. She didn't say it, but I'm just going out there. Okay. now the idea of a a gang in the Senate, you know, a cinema mansion kind of we're going to cut through this. Isn't that more difficult now in this new House majority where there's not there's not much respect for what's going on in the Senate? They don't want to be told what this is. Kevin McCarthy wants to negotiate directly with the White House. Well, he does want to negotiate with the White House, and I think the White House should enter in discussions. I think we're not going to have discussions isn't a healthy posture because we need to. I understand not engaging in if you don't do what we say we're going to default. But I do think talking about what to do about the fiscal situation makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But in terms of negotiations, this is not Republicans and Democrats or even Republicans and Democrats in the White House, because there's so many different groups within the Republican and Democratic Party right now that there are negotiations that have to go within each of the parties first. I think there are a number of more moderate Republicans who will probably get really tired of this discussion if it continues to be around there might be a default. But would be really pleased if the discussion is we need to do something to control spending or put in place a fiscal commission or something more reasonable. And so I think they have to figure that out first amongst themselves. Well, I tell you, the, the, the lawmakers who were holding up, the Republican lawmakers holding up Kevin McCarthy's speakership uh, for 15 rounds or whatever it was uh, going into that weekend. Boy, I don't think they'd love the idea of a fiscal commission. 
right? That that will anger a lot of conservative Republicans as well. And Maya, we haven't even mentioned the name Mitch McConnell yet. Yeah, we. That's right. We have. Well, to your first point, I don't think they like the idea of the commission. But also what surprises me is how many of them are suddenly running from what the most serious thing we need to do and should do is, which is fix Social Security and Medicare. If you're serious about dealing with our fiscal challenges, what should be on the table is making those two programs solvent, which are headed towards insolvency. The trust funds are going to run into trouble in the coming years. And that's the most important thing we could do. And we know how politically difficult that is. Uh, and you've already seen many of the Republicans who hold out the most on it's so important to deal with the fiscal issue, not being willing to talk about those very important issues. And I think it started when President Trump said, I promise not to fix Social Security and Medicare. That isn't <laughs> the right direction to move things fiscally. So, so, again, there's some issues there. Yes, your point about Mitch McConnell is he would like to get this deal done. But it also reminds me that some of the deals, and he was involved with them, the past three deals where we raised the debt ceiling under President Trump, they all included policy measures that made the debt worse. Hmm. And so I think any of the leaders that push anything like that are going to find themselves up against a very strong wall of opposition from those House Republicans we were just talking about. Wow, this is really interesting. Is there any, Are there any budget cuts that the White House could offer that would not upset uh, uh, Democrats. Is there any is there any low hanging fruit that Joe Biden could bring that that could give Kevin McCarthy the off ramp to say, hey, we got we got at least some spending cuts on this? Well, that's a great question. The problem is there, there there's not much low hanging fruit because it's been used when it needed to in the past, and then they stopped using it and they just started borrowing instead, which is why we're in this mess. Um, I do think there's probably a small package of health care reforms. That has been put forward in, in budgets of both Republicans and Democrats. There's probably half a trillion dollars of savings of health care reforms that could be there. Fixing the way we calculate inflation using chain CPI is something that they should be able to do. And reasonable spending caps, but they'd have to be on defense and non-defense. It's something we've had for the past decade. They work, they work if they are reasonable levels. They don't work if they're too aggressive. So some medium ones could be workable. I like the idea of those specific kinds of policies, but I just think that's a lot to negotiate with the debt ceiling breathing down their back. Maybe a commission with a very short amount of time to work on those specific issues and hash out the details could work. Fascinating stuff, Maya. Thank you for uh, helping us through this. Maya McGinnis, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget with us on Bloomberg Sound On. I'd love to hear what the panel thinks of this because it's hard to tell, especially you know what, what resonates now may not in June. But they do need to start crafting something here, to Eric's point, sooner than later. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis join us as Bloomberg Politics contributors. They make up our signature panel. Rick, what do you think of this idea for for Republicans to accept a fiscal commission or some sort of promise, at least, to reform things going forward if, if, say, it was paired with a clean debt limit bill? You know, I I think they'd feel like they were giving up nothing to get nothing. Uh, in other words, uh, the <clears throat> commissions have been tried before. I'm a big fan of them because I think in a non-political hypercharged environment, they tend to come up with good ideas. But then even when the commission does come up with good ideas, uh, they tend to not get a hearing in Congress. And nobody wants to be for you know the commission for various reasons politically. And so until you solve the politics of this, I don't think there's going to be much that, that the, the House Republicans are going to see as productive and they're likely to be the no guys, right? We don't even know what they're asking for at this mm-hmm. stage. Uh, and yet they're already opposed to anything the administration wants to give them. 
Is that just window dressing a commission genie that doesn't bring the promise somehow of, of reform next year? Yeah, I, I mean, they are not going to uh, the five that we know of who have said they don't want to negotiate at all on this, the Republicans in the House. That is not going to be something that they're going to want to accept. And so the reality is, and I think the scary part of this is, is the fact that they are talking about things like prioritization, which means they are not thinking about resolving the debt ceiling by lifting or suspending it and moving forward to have a really important conversation about spending. What they're doing is they're trying to say, we're going to play games with the U.S. economy. We are going to leave this thing it is as it is, and we're going to try to navigate a really, really dangerous situation. And that's why this is going to consume Washington for the next several months. And it is a very bad sign that they're not trying to talk about how to get there, but how to navigate when they don't. Well, I'll tell you what, Andy Biggs, one of the members you're, you're referring to, tweeted in the White House uh, was quick to respond. We cannot raise the debt ceiling. Democrats have carelessly spent our taxpayer money, devalued our currency. They've made their bed, so they must lie in it. So what do we do then, Rick, in that case? If if they're not going to budge, uh, then you could be headed for a default. Yeah, no, I mean, right now, the snapshot of this is um, is pretty bleak. Uh, and I thought it was summed up well by Kristen Sinema in Davos today, saying the deals McCarthy cut may not allow him to have a deal. Wow. We pick up our conversation there next with the panel. Jeannie and Rick with us for the hour. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for choosing the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple like as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The White House is accusing Republicans in the House of, quote, unprecedented economic vandalism, unquote. Reaching for the vandalism already here. It's good. We've only, what, gotten two days into this week. It's heating up quick. And that, of course, was in response to the tweet from Andy Biggs that I mentioned. This is one of the Republican members of Congress who not only opposed uh, Kevin McCarthy as speaker, but ran for speaker himself. And he says, we're not raising the debt limit. As I read for you a moment ago, he says, Democrats have made their bed, carelessly spent our taxpayer money, devalued our currency. They've made their bed, so they must lie in it. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, the panel. Uh, Jeannie, it's everyone's bed. 
that's the problem, right? If we default, that's everyone's retirement account, not just Democrats. Yeah, it, that that tweet just killed me, Joe Matthew. Thank you for sharing that. I hadn't seen that one. <laughs> you know, let's start from the beginning. I mean, we are talking about paying debts that the government owes because of money spent. And by the way, all of it allocated by Congress where Andy Biggs sits, number one. We're not talking about future spending. We're talking about past spending. Number two, the tactic he wants to employ of not raising the debt ceiling, defaulting, if, if he cares so much about the deficit is going to make that much, much worse. So uh, by what sort of sane sort of examination of this problem does putting your heels down and saying you're not going to negotiate, you're not going to have a conversation or any of this make any sense in this regard? Raise the debt ceiling, get rid of it altogether. And then talk about the very important issue of spending. But you can't couple the two. They're completely different things. And you're going to make the matter you say you care about so much worse. Well, Andy Biggs is one reason why Kirsten Cinema made the remark that you might have heard Rick Davis mention. She was on a panel in Davos. And by the way, she sitting right next to Joe Manchin. They high five over the, agreeing on the filibuster. Uh, the quote is, that will make it very difficult. She's referring to the concessions that led to Kevin McCarthy's speakership. That'll make it very difficult for us to meet our obligation when the debt limit fight comes up later this year. Uh, might she be one to lead a gang in the Senate, Rick, to force a deal? Yeah, I would think that uh, she would be a very uh, good candidate to be uh, part of a gang of. Uh, you know, John McCain made good use of gang ofs in sure various did. places where you needed a bipartisan solution. And she's been, you know, sort of fitting into his uh, legacy quite well. So, sure. I, I, and I think that would be something that she'd do well. Republicans like to do business with her. She's accomplished an enormous amount in her first term of office uh, legislatively uh, with bipartisan solutions to difficult uh, problems. So, uh, but I don't think this, that the Senate is actually going to be the holdup. I mean, in the past, the Senate can put a little pain into the discussions. But uh, right now, I think the Senate is in a place where working in a bipartisan fashion has become more the norm than the exception uh, in the House uh, because of what she said, I think, is a real uh, issue. And that is that the deal that, 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 that Kevin McCarthy had to cut with the right wing of his party, the Freedom Caucus, actually prohibit him from using some of the legislative tools that he has as speaker – to actually get a deal. And and that is really uh, a new problem that we have not seen recently. There's always this ability at the end where powerful people, you know, yeah. whether they've been speakers on the House, Republican side or Democratic side, can use the tricks of the, of the chamber to get things done. And his hands may be tied. Fascinating. And not in a good way. Uh, we heard about some uh, committees, some more uh, committees over the past couple of days with some big ones in the last 24 hours, and that's the Oversight Committee. Now, you remember Marjorie Taylor Greene was all in for Kevin McCarthy with her eyes. She had been kicked off of committees by Democrats, and she didn't want just any. She wanted oversight so she could help investigate the Biden White House. Let's uh, travel back in time here. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, in the middle of November when the McCarthy fight was just starting to cook. We have a very slim majority, and so this is why it's so important for us to stay unified and get behind him as our speaker, because we cannot open the door to the Democrats peeling off several of our Republicans and, and working together to choose a speaker that they would control. We have to have the gavel. 
Well, he's speaker, and she's on the oversight committee now. Uh, Jeannie Paul Gosar is on the oversight committee. You, I'm sure, envisioned this, but what does it really mean for the White House? You know, for the White House, it means that they are facing what they knew they were going to face, which is they are going to face investigation after investigation after investigation. And of course, they were preparing for that before the issue of the classified documents arose, which mm-hmm. has given new life to this, uh, you know, oversight focus. Oh, true, yeah. But and but now they're facing not only just the oversight, but they are facing a committee with people like Green and Gosar. And then, of course, you see people named committees like Lauren Boebert landing these powerful positions. So this is something that the White House, I think, is, you know, knows they were going to have to confront. And in a way, they think this might work to their advantage, that these people will say or do something crazy yeah. that they can just play off of. Well, that's where I was going to go here with Rick. Lauren Boebert, indeed, being another on the Oversight Committee. Is this going to end up becoming uh, a, a sort of a Saturday Night Live skit in Congress? I mean, it, you, you can overreach pretty easily with people on this. Well, yeah, look at what we started this segment talking about Andy Biggs. I mean, for Uh heaven's sakes, this guy is one of the biggest cast of characters in the entire Congress, and yet he's driving some of the policy discussion that we're having today. I mean, it's outrageous. I mean, he is he's considered a fractional player at best. And yet, considering the new majority, you know, and how much of a tilt to the right it's taken, he's all of a sudden a powerful guy again. Um but uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a uh, Halloween every day of the week on the floor of the House of Representatives. And <laughs> what does know, that mean for the actual oversight, though? I mean, what what kind of investigation? This is going to go beyond Hunter Biden's laptop, and I'm assuming there are going to be briefings uh, by them every day. This will be a, a daily bit of entertainment. Yeah. Well, look, these are posers, right? I mean, these are people, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, especially who have no interest whatsoever in legislation or oversight. What they want to do is be in the news. And so you're going to have as many investigations that requires them to be in the press every single day of the week. And, and I, and I don't expect any of those investigations to actually come to any logical conclusion because doing the hard work is not what these members have been tasked to do. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's making news and being celebrities. And, uh, I, I think the loss in the house of um, uh, people like Adam Kinzinger, who used to call him out for this and yeah. say, why don't you get to work and actually help us pass some bills, um, uh, is going to be sorely missed because now, you know, they're sort of unhinged and can do pretty much whatever they want because, you know, they they elected the speaker. That's right. Kevin McCarthy needs to protect them, Jeannie. My gosh, I don't know if Joe Biden just sort of tries to laugh his way through this. That's more difficult now with the documents. But I wouldn't want to be Corrine Jean-Pierre for the next two years. Oh, is she going to be facing the questions? But oh, my you, God. Yeah, I mean, and the documents have really muddied the water for them on this. But the reality is, if they could have chosen a cast of characters to be engaged in this, you know, what we, what should be an, a serious endeavor and, and likely won't be, they would have chosen these people. So in a way, McCarthy did their bidding. At least that's what they're hoping. And this is what Joe Biden ran on in the midterm election, what he hopes to run on in 24. Don't don't let the crazies get control of the White House the way they did the House. And look what they did to their own leader. One of the options in the piece that I mentioned uh, at the top on, on the debt limit, the doomsday clock piece, which it's worth your read on the terminal, just for background and potential outcomes here, potential solutions. Uh, one of the, the, the sections is McCarthy folds. That is a possibility, uh, obviously, here, Rick. Kevin McCarthy could find religion on this and, and change his tune. But 
we've gone through that before. That that could get him fired, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the discharge petition that that we've talked about so many times since it came up as part of his quote getting elected deal. Mm. Um, the motion and, to and, vacate, and it's a motion to vacate, and and it and it and it hangs over his head, right? I mean, it's it's going to be something that the the anybody uh, can use as a wedge. I, I would say. Um, there is a chance that he does try to get something productive done. I mean, short of, you know, sort of getting religion, uh, he isn't going to want this to go all the way down to the wire because the, the reality is he, he can't rely on his own caucus, right? If anybody understands the pain they can inflict, it's him. Tell me about the 15th ballot and how good that felt. Uh, and, and so I, I think he'll try to rig a deal where we don't have it all the way down to the train hitting a, in the, the intersection uh, uh, with a car sitting in it. Right. Uh, because I think he realizes that at that point, he actually loses all of his control. And so, you know, speakers have a lot of power. This one still does. And, and I think it'll be in his interest, and I think he's smart enough to want to do this, yeah. is to make sure this doesn't get to a point where he could ultimately be criticized if something bad happens. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, we turn to Ukraine next. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The weather may not have been severe, at least so far as many feared for winter in Ukraine, but it has been a season of horrors for the people who live there. President Zelensky today spoke to the gathering in Davos, spoke to the World Economic Forum remotely from Kiev and reflected on some of the horrible headlines that we have seen here as he asked for more support. The death toll at a nine-story apartment building in Dnipro, you may have seen, climbed to 30 a couple of days ago, was hit by uh, what Ukraine's Air Command said is a Russian long-range anti-ship missile. But that's that's just one of many. The numbers are horrifying there. But Russia, in fact, launched... Uh, 57 missile strikes in the last 24 hours, 69 strikes from rocket salvo systems that, according to Ukraine's general staff, uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky, in that speech, reflecting on the attack on the apartment building. Ukraine lives thousands of such units, including three minutes on January 14th. Three minutes. The time it took for a Russian missile to travel hundreds of kilometers, hit a residential block in Dnipro, and kill at least 45 people. Three minutes, he says, calling on world leaders to act quickly, unite even more, he said, with the message that Russia was outpacing democracy. Listen. The supply of Ukraine with air defense systems must outpace Russia's next missile attacks. The supplies of Western tanks must outpace another invasion of Russian tanks. The restoration of security and peace in Ukraine must outpace Russia's attacks on security and peace in other countries. This is where we begin with Rebecca Heinrich, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and a specialist on Ukraine back with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. Rebecca, it's great to have you. We've heard a lot of talk of tanks uh, recently, uh, whether Germany commits to them, Britain is on board. We're giving them Patriot air defense systems. And the question keeps coming, uh, you know, on, on what else can we can we deliver? And I know that there are different answers to that question, but it, it sounded to me like a different Vladimir Zelensky. It sounded to me like someone... 
who was feeling more worried than maybe he was when he addressed a joint session of Congress, if not just exhausted by this relentless uh, series of missile attacks by Russia. What's going through his mind right now? Well, I think, first of all, whenever he was addressing the joint session of Congress, he had to strike a very careful tone. He couldn't mm-hmm. appear to be, quote unquote, ungrateful for the the weapons that Americans have paid for and sent, the economic aid. And so he had to strike a relatively optimistic tone that things were achievable and working and that he was grateful. But the truth of the matter is the United States still is reluctant to provide certain categories of weapons. And so really, it's a cat and mouse game. The Russians continue to move further back and out of range of the categories of weapons that Ukraine currently has. And so Zelensky is incredibly frustrated. His cities are getting pummeled, and he wants the kinds of weapons that enables him to go on a strong counteroffensive to actually do serious damage to the Russian military. Well, his claim today that the Donbass is the key, that if, if they're going to win this war, it will be won in the Donbass. We heard from uh, John Kirby as well, spokesman for the National Security Apparatus in the White House today, where he said, make no mistake, listen. Vicious is the fighting uh, in, the, in the Donbass uh, today, um, particularly uh, around uh, Bakhmut and Solidar, and of the two, even more towards the latter, Solidar in particular. The battles in these uh, areas, the Donetsk and Luhansk regions, uh, including the cities that Kirby mentioned, are continuing without respite, according to Zelensky. Uh, does this turn into a war of attrition, Rebecca? Well, I hope it doesn't because nobody wins that. Um, And I think that that's why you're getting some frustration. I'm picking up a lot of that from the Poles, from the Baltic nations, from the Brits, really urging uh, Germany to to let the export of these leopard tanks, because those are the kinds of tanks that that Ukraine needs to get closer to where they need to go on the attack. The high marks Americans have provided are becoming out of reach for where the Russians are going. And so you either have to have tanks that get you closer with guns that can actually hit with where the Russians are, or you have to have longer range strike systems like ATACMS or the big heavier drones that the United States has still been loath to to export to Ukraine. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the tanks because we we spent time yesterday talking about Germany and whether it might commit leopard tanks as have been requested, dozens of them. We know the Brits uh, stood up on this. And it's kind of a different situation for American Abrams tanks uh, because they're so difficult to maintain. But I see in the Wall Street Journal, Germany will not allow allies to ship German-made tanks to Ukraine unless the U.S. agrees to send American-made battle tanks. So how are we getting anything done with with that kind of approach? And who needs to talk to Germany? Yeah, I I think that this is just, again, I think that Germany is playing games here. Always one more thing. There's always one more thing that's just out of reach before Germany will finally do something meaningful. And as you said, this is not a matter of the United States in this particular case being to provide tanks. It's the the German um, leopard tanks that are necessary. And, and, you know, I'm very disappointed. You know, President Biden had a talk with Schultz today, Jeremy Schultz. and, And rather than Schultz coming out of that and saying, fine, we're going to do it, he, he seemed to move further the other direction, saying we're just simply not going to do this. And so this is very disappointing for, for no matter of a U.S. leadership perspective to unite the, the alliance, the NATO alliance, to actually provide what is necessary. I have gotten to the point where I've just concluded that the United States should back the side of the NATO alliance that wants to see Ukraine succeed 
and huh. then force Germany to follow us rather than trying to unite us before moving forward. Well, maybe that happens naturally, Rebecca, when you have Britain standing up, when you have France standing up before Germany. Uh, you may not have to ask for that. that that's exactly right. You, you, I saw the Polish foreign minister said today, you know, we've been asking and maybe it's time paraphrasing him that we're going to stop asking as well. Huh. I mean, the other way you have the alliance begin to pull apart is that patience simply runs out and that people are no longer willing to wait for Germany. If Germany is going to be the weakest link, then they'll go ahead and go forward. But optimally, um, clearly, it's better whenever you have the entire NATO alliance moving forward. But these countries can't afford to see Russia succeed, and they understand that Ukraine is only the first link, and the rest of NATO along um, the, the borders there are also at risk if Russia is allowed to prevail. And so there is a greater sense of urgency on that wing of the, of the NATO alliance. Mm-hmm. Will the war be won or lost in the Donbass? Is President Zelensky correct? I don't know about that. I'm sure that he knows more about than I do operationally and what's necessary and will have strategic effects. I do know that the only way the war ends is if Putin decides that, that he's not going to prevail militarily to get the gains that he wants to have. Yeah. And so you have to you have to force him to make that decision. He has not, which means he still thinks that he can win by by outlasting um, the, the patience of the alliance. We always get smarter when we talk to Rebecca Heinrichs. Rebecca, thank you for being here. Senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, an expert on Ukraine who can come in a lot of handy uh, at moments like this when we try to make sense of these headlines. We're going to get back to our panel next. As Joe Biden picks up the phone to order a cheeseburger. All the stories that happen every day in Washington, you know you're going to hear about it on this program. Sound on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On is brought to you by Innovation Refunds. This is your daily reminder from Innovation Refunds. The sacrifices you made keeping your employees on the payroll during the pandemic are not forgotten. Check the potential refund that your small to medium-sized business may be eligible to receive through the employee retention credit. No upfront costs. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. President had small business on his mind today. While everyone's sitting in Davos, sipping champagne, talking about the future of the world economy, President Biden was ordering cheeseburgers. He actually put out a tweet, ordered a bacon cheeseburger from a local restaurant to celebrate over 10 million new small business applications during my presidency. Uh, this was, I guess, for lunch with Kamala Harris, the vice president. You know, they have lunch every week. Remember, he was trying to do that with Barack Obama. I guess they're still doing it. And so, uh, you know, he picked up the phone to, to place the order. As he writes in the tweet, I may have caught Brittany off guard. Sebastian, let's dial the phone. 
Hi. What would you like to have? Well, I'd like Bye. to have a bacon cheeseburger with American cheese mm. and a side of French fries. We'll have someone come pick yes. it up, okay? How's mm. business at Ghost Burgers these days? It's pretty mm -hmm. good. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to having lunch. That's crazy. Crazy, <laughs> says Brittany. Ooh, I'm shaking. Yeah, but played it pretty cool on the phone there. Shaking now. I Called Ghost Burger. Cheeseburgers from Ghost Burger. <laughs> yes. And they're chowing there. I ordered them and I said, this is Joe Biden calling. I said, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it went. But hey, let's hear it for Ghost Burger. That's pretty good. Rick Davis and GD Shanzano join us with final thoughts here. Uh, good politics. Don't, don't you think, Jeannie, I don't care what it does on Twitter, but being seen as a regular person and having a sense of humor goes a long way to staying in people's good graces. Yeah, he's got to ignore looking at Twitter and all the people who called him Boomer and said it didn't really look like Britney was actually <laughs> caught off guard with all the cameras in her face and how edited the video was. But he wishes he was a Boomer. Beyond that, it was, hey, listen, we're talking about the small business applications, so that's a good thing for Biden and anything to get him off the documents case, that's also a good thing. <laughs> so he may not be in Davos with the champagne, but he's having burgers and that's better. But but is that how you connect with people at this point, Rick? You know the power of social media. This is what every corporation's trying to do, right? Get some short-form videos out there. Get a bunch of people to retweet it. This is actually how it's more effective in many cases than buying TV. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is kind of buying TV. and uh, and it, But it's a very modern way to get out your message. And, and the reality is uh, you don't want to lose connection with the American people when you're president of the United States. And so finding ways of, of connecting with them, something that they would do normally, uh, go to a grocery store, just be, be careful that you get the price of bread right. And uh, don't call you know, or Wagner. order a hamburger, right? And, and, and I think these are the kinds of things that, that frankly, American public are hoping – the president does every now and then. I mean, if I were president, I'd order from Ghost Burger for sure. Yes, and, right. and when he does it, they're like, ah, go, Joe. That's great. That's the old Joe we know. Here, here. A little bit different than Donald Trump. Not only uh, did he like his burgers, I think, at the Trump Hotel, Jeannie, but he, wa he wanted them to be well done. That's right. That's right. And, you know, listen, with all the talk of gas stoves today and what's happening oh, with that, gee, this is right. a good thing for the Biden administration to put out. And <laughs> I don't, don't know. I'm going to cook on a gas stove. I have to check this. Is that what Ghost Burgers doing? Are they cooking on gas? This is like a whole sure. new controversy you just started. Good <laughs> Lord. Sorry. We have to call there and do some reporting. Uh, but it is true. It cuts through even some of the sillier stories like that one, Rick. And is the contrast against Davos worth something? I feel like. That's probably good for the president uh, as well, as he at least tries to be blue-collar Joe. Yeah, I think this is a great way to fill some of the, the press vacuum. I mean, it's been very negative on him uh, since the election uh, with the disclosure of the documents case. And, yes, right. And so he needed a day off from the negative media that uh, that has surrounded him. And, 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 and I would say the one thing that has been really interesting about Davos is it yeah. hasn't competed to make any news. How true. <laughs> Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, great conversation. Yeah, they're cooking on gas. Oh, I'm looking at these burgers. Does anyone listening to this not want a cheeseburger and fries right now? Put in the order. Listen to Daybreak Asia. Subscribe to the podcast. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.